memory card that somebody has lost. It goes to a cricket phone. If you have cricket and uh, you're missing your little memory, your micro memory card, um, I've got it. So just wanted to drop that. We found it, and so I don't know when it was lost, but it'll be up here. Last week, uh, we began a series on the book of Matthew, and my message pointed to Jesus as the Messiah. And I want you to know it's important that we understand uh, Jesus as being the Messiah. It's so important that we understand that, because if we don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah, then there's many things that makes our beliefs pointless. Um, But today... We're going to be reading from. We're going to be reading the Matthew chapter three. We're going to be reading the whole chapter, uh, so it's not very long. It's about seventeen verses. But Matthew chapter three. If you've got your Bibles, you can go there. Hold your place. We'll be there in just a moment. But this is what starts the beginning of Jesus's ministry. It's about about twenty years have passed since we last heard about Jesus. Luke chapter two verse forty two uh, was the last time that we know. It says when he was twelve years old. They went up to the festival according to the custom. Uh, And this is the last story that we know about Jesus until his adult uh, ministry starts. And when Jesus begins his adult ministry, he's about 30 years old. And I want you to think about something new for a moment. We all like new stuff, don't we? We like having new things, new items. Uh, You know, we, we like new stuff. I know I do. We just had Christmas, right? About Believe it or not, less than a month ago. I mean, here we are. It's just the, uh, what is today, the 15th, 16th, I think, 16th of January. So it was, it was literally less than a month ago that we had Christmas. We celebrate. And, and so think about this. Uh, we all got new stuff, right? We got new toys or new uh, clothes or, or new items, new whatever. And we like those new things. We like showing them off. We like people seeing them. We like people... Um, you know, looking at them and showing and, and letting everybody know we enjoy, you know, those new things. And, and the new will eventually wear off, but uh, that newness, it hasn't worn off yet. And uh, if there was something that you didn't like, you've probably already taken it back too, right? Uh, you've already taken it back to the store. I don't want that, you know. But the truth is we all like something new. We like new beginnings. Do you remember when you first started dating your spouse? You know, do you remember when you uh, got your new car? Do you remember when you bought your house, right? We all remember that newness. Kelly and I, we've had the privilege of building two homes. We've been blessed. God has enabled us to, um, the first home that we uh, bought and purchased, uh, they were in the process of building it. It wasn't anything of our specs, We, but it was a brand new home. We were the first people to move into it. And then the, the house that we live in now, we, uh, uh, we were able to build. We got to go pick out all the, the, the uh, accessories and, you know, and tell how we wanted it done and, and how we wanted the kitchen laid out and what size patio we wanted in the back and you know, all that fit within our budget, of course. I mean, we, we didn't go outside of our budget you know, because uh, we wanted to be able to afford the new home, right? Uh, so, uh, but we got to do all those things. And I remember... Uh, as we were building this home, the anticipation of when we could move in. And uh, I remember going over there every single day and seeing how the progress was. Did they do anything new today? You know, I would take pictures and, 
and and I'd hey look what they did today you know and we I'd send them to her and and we were so excited and then moving day came and it was such an exciting time we had friends and family help us move it was exciting we have now lived in this house almost nine years God has blessed us we enjoy our home and the blessings that those beginnings brought to us almost nine years ago. And the beginning of Jesus' ministry was the beginning of something special. We all like beginnings, right? We all like newness. And it was that's the way it was at that time. When Jesus was preparing to come onto the scene, there was a stirring in the air. There was an excitement taking place. There was something that something was brewing, and it started with a man that wasn't, that wasn't Jesus. It started with someone else, and his name was John the Baptist, and he actually was a distant cousin of Jesus. So go with me to chapter 3, and let's look at verse 1. Matthew chapter 3, verse 1. And it says, In those days John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent! For the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locust and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. So you see, John was a strange man. He was somebody, I mean, he was kind of a strange character. He was someone that, that liked to stir things up. The religious leaders had been cruising along thinking all their religious stuff was the way they should be until this man, John, came stirring things up. And, and Matthew's quick to point out that John was the one prophesied about in Isaiah chapter 40 verse 3 it says a voice of one calling in the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord make straight in the desert a highway for our God Matthew quotes this verse John's clothes we it mentioned in the scriptures that his his clothes were made of camel's hair he ate honey and locusts and I don't know about you but maybe we could start a new diet trend what do you think Anybody want to eat some wild locusts and honey? You know, I think we might could start that. Let's write a book. We'll sell millions, don't you think? I think we can call it the John the Baptist diet. I think Hollywood will run with it. I think they'll take it and they'll think, man, this is the greatest thing in the world. We get to eat bugs and honey all day long. Sound good? Any takers? Who wants to start it? But John's message was simple, right? I mean, his message was easy. It was repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And people were flocking to his message. I mean, they were coming. They were repenting of their sins. And so John, he's, he's baptizing them in the Jordan River. And this is how he gets the name John the Baptist. I mean, you know, it's not like his name was, it's not like his parents said, God said to call you John we're going to add the Baptist onto it. No, he got that nickname. That became a nickname because that's what he would do. Everywhere he would be, man, he'd be dunking people. He'd just be, I mean, he'd, come on, repent of your sins. And, you know, and it's next, you know. 
I mean, that's the way it was. That's what his ministry was, was to go around and to preach, preparing the way for a coming Messiah, preparing the way for someone uh, who was much greater than him. And man, this gets back to the religious leaders. And, and they decide to come check out, and apparently this just sets John off. John don't care too much for these religious leaders very much. He thinks that they're a bunch of hypocrites, and he might be right. But look at what he says. Uh, verse 7, it says, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was, he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, you bunch of snakes, in other words. Who warns you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with the water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Man, I mean, John just sets the religious leaders straight. John's the guy, he, man, he don't hold any punches back, does he? He just tells them how it is, you bunch of snakes. Here you go, you come and you think that you can live off the legacy of your family. You think that because you're from the lineage of Abraham, because you were a part of that, that you ain't got to live any way differently. And John tells me, he says, I don't care where you come from. If you have sin in your life, you need to repent. You need to repent of your sin and be baptized, be washed and set free, be clean. And he, then he says, look, and I'm not even the greatest here. I'm not even, there's one far greater than me. I'm not even worthy enough to even wash this man's sandals. And John's preparing the way. He's getting, he's setting the scene ready. You ever, you, you, I like movies. Anybody else like movies? I like watching movies. I like watching TV shows. I like I like watching stuff. And if you ever notice how at the beginning they're kind of setting the story up, you're getting the story ready, and then all of a sudden, boom, something big happens. Something big climactic happens, you know, and then the rest of the story happens after that. See, that's what John's doing. He's setting the tone. He's setting the scene, you know. He's getting it ready, getting people ready so that they can see the big climactic is about to happen. And so here he is, he's telling them, he's preparing the way. He's telling man, this guy, this guy's coming. He's going to be fantastic. He's going to be wonderful. He's going to be awesome. He's going to be just magnificent. And the religious leaders come, and he's telling them, look, you guys need to straighten up. You guys need to get right, you know. And then, uh, you know, he, he says, uh, I like uh, what the, um, um, the uh, message says in uh, verse 11. He says, I'm baptizing you here in the river, turning your old life in for a kingdom life. The real action comes next, the main character in this drama. Compared to him, I'm a mere stagehand. He will, uh, will ignite the kingdom life within you, a fire within you, the Holy Spirit within you, changing you from the inside out. And all of this takes place before Jesus comes on the scene. 
John's setting everything up. I mean, he's getting it ready. He's getting everyone ready for the man that is going to change the world. He is preparing the way for a man that John says, I, whose sandals I'm not, worried to carry. I'm not worthy to carry. John knew that the Messiah would be coming after him. And although John was the first genuine prophet in 400 years, think about that. There's not been a prophet that has spoken to God's people in over 400 years. If you, if you read the Bible from the end of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, to the book of Matthew, when John comes on the scene, there's about a little over 400 years there that no prophet has spoken God has not been speaking to his people. He's not been talking to his people. And so here John comes on the scene, and he's the first genuine prophet. Jesus the Messiah would be infinitely greater than John. But, and John points out how insignificant he was compared to the one who would come. And I want you to remember what John would say later in John chapter 3, verse 30. He says what? He must become great. He's talking about Jesus. John is talking about Jesus. He must become greater. I must become less. What John began, Jesus finished. Do you hear me? What John prepared, Jesus fulfilled. Amen? And so he's setting the scene. He's setting the tone. He's getting everything ready. And then in verse 13, Jesus arrives. Amen? Everything that John had been doing to that point, was preparing the way for something greater, and Jesus is that someone greater. Look at verse 13. It says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water, and at that moment, heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. John, so I want you to understand, John didn't feel worthy to baptize Jesus. But here's something important for us to understand. Jesus assured John that it had to be this way. He assured him, he said, it has to be this way. It doesn't matter if you think you're not worthy. It has to be this way. John had to fulfill the will of Christ. He had to fulfill the will of God. What was supposed to take place? So why did Jesus have to be baptized? I'm going to give you three reasons this morning. Um, real quickly, let me get a drink. <laughs> get a little raspy. There are three reasons that, John, that Jesus had to be baptized. Number one, he had to fulfill all righteousness. You see, by Christ being baptized, he's making a public statement that he was set apart for God's purposes and he is prepared to fulfill 
all of God's requirements. It had to happen. There, there was there was no, uh, well, it might happen. No, it had to happen. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5 says, But when the set time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. The second reason that Jesus had to be baptized was to identify himself with sinners. Now, I want to be clear. I am not telling you that Jesus sinned. Do you hear me? Those words did not come out of my mouth. Jesus never sinned, okay? He did not need to repent. He did not need to make a change in his life. He was perfect, but he was setting an example for us to follow. You ever set an example for your child? Some of us, we set good examples. Some of us, we set bad examples, don't we? Huh? You ever done something that you knew you shouldn't necessarily do, and then your kids see you do it, and they start doing it? I think I've told y'all this before, but I have a driving problem that I'm going to admit this morning. When I drive through a parking lot, people are in my way. I like to tell them to get out of my way. They can't hear me. No one can hear me except the people in my car. One day when Maley was about two years old, I learned a quick lesson. I wasn't saying anything this day. But I had said stuff in the past. This lady was moving a little slow in front of us. And out of the back seat, Maylie goes, Hey, lady, move out of the or Hey, hey old lady, move out of the way. I knew exactly where she got that from. Let me just say, we set good examples and we set bad examples. Jesus was setting a good example for us to follow. Amen? That's who he was. He never sinned. He was perfect, but he was setting an example for us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Amen? 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Jesus set an example for us. And the third reason Jesus had to be baptized was to associate himself with the repentance movement. What do you mean? See, this was a new movement that was coming on, calling people to repentance. It started with John the Baptist. Jesus was beginning his ministry by continuing the John the Baptist repentance message. Jesus wanted people to see that this was the message that he was following. If you want to know why you should be baptized, this is it. You need to follow the example of Jesus and be baptized. Amen? Water baptism is a representation of you leaving the old life behind in the water and coming up and starting a new life in Christ. What happened to Jesus when he came out of the water? Look at verse 16 again. Matthew chapter 3, verse 16. As soon as Jesus was baptized, 
He went up out of the water at that moment. Heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. Everything Jesus did, now hear me, his preaching, his healings, his suffering, his victory over sin and Satan's power, he did by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? And even though he was fully God, he willingly laid aside and limited his rights and privileges as God in becoming fully human. And he had to operate the same way that we must as people dependent on God's Holy Spirit. Amen? If Jesus could do nothing apart from the power of the Holy Spirit, how much more do we need the Spirit's power? Hear me. Luke chapter 4 verse 1 says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. The Spirit equipped and worked powerfully through Jesus to accomplish God's plan of restoring His relationship with all people. Jesus Himself would later baptize His followers with the Holy Spirit so that they too might have the Spirit's power to accomplish His purposes for them. There's one more thing I want to show you this morning about Matthew chapter 3, and it's a picture of the Trinity that we get here. It's such a beautiful picture. And I want you to see this. Look at verses 16 and 17 again. I'm going to read these again. It says, As soon as Jesus was baptized, He went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was open, and He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on Him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son who I love. With him I am well pleased. Jesus' baptism is an extraordinary revelation in that it gives a unique picture of the Trinity. The fact that the one true God exists in three distinct, interrelated, unified persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I want you to look at the verses that I've just read to you. First of all, Jesus is the one being baptized in water. Amen? He is himself God and equal with God the Father. Amen? The Holy Spirit, who is also God and equal with the Father, he comes upon Jesus like a dove. Then in verse 17, God the Father declares that he is well pleased with his son, Jesus. We are getting confirmation of who Jesus is that day from God the Father. Amen? He speaks it to those that were in attendance. They were there. I truly believe they heard it. I believe they seen it. I believe it was a, an amazing... And I'm telling you, if that doesn't give you something to shout about at that point, if they're sitting there watching this scene and they don't... It's like, man, something's about to take place. Something is about to happen. And those people needed a lot of help, didn't they? <laughs> And I believe for you and me, this is something that we should be excited about to know that we have all three working together in unity for our benefit. This scene reveals to us three distinct yet fully divine, fully God and equal persons, each possessing all the characteristics of God. And yet all three exist in such unity that they are not three gods, but they are one. Amen? And another way that you can describe this is Three in person, one in essence. Let me say that again. Three in person, one in essence. And we must be careful not to misinterpret this as if the one true God has simply revealed himself in three different forms or expressions at different times throughout history. For instance, some people think that 
God the Father in the Old Testament, Jesus in the New Testament, and the Holy Spirit. Now, that's not true. The correct understanding of this doctrine is that all three persons of the Godhead exist uniquely at the same time and are so completely united and they form the one true and eternal God. Both the Son and the Holy Spirit possess attributes that can only be true of God and none of the three persons was ever made or created but each has always existed with all the character traits power and glory of God amen this one God existing in three persons means that from all eternity to the infinite past doesn't matter when you think the past, how far the past goes back. God was still there. Jesus was still there. The Holy Spirit was still there. To the infinite past. And then if you could look into the future as far as you could possibly see into the future, there has always existed a perfect spiritual unity. A complete love the expression of godly character traits, an absolute knowledge, a faultless interrelationship within and among the persons of what is referred to as the Godhead. It has always existed. It's never not existed. The Trinity did not begin in Matthew. It was there in Genesis. Do you hear me? The Trinity will not end in Revelation. It will continue forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen? It always has been. It always will be. John chapter 10, verse 15 said, Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I laid down my life for the sheep. 1 Corinthians 2.10 said, These are the things God has revealed to us by His Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God so I've said all of this to say to you today you can put your trust you can put your hope you can put your strength you can put your joy your peace every part of your life in the book in God's word and know that it is the truth it is infallible it's inerrant. It's completely true. There is no falsehoods. And you can put your trust in that God is a God that loves us. He died for us. He lives among us. And He wants what's best for us. Amen? And I want to say this. If you have not made a decision to follow Christ, it is so important that you do so today. God loves you, and He wants the best for you. Can we pray? Before I pray, I want to—I just want to just share just something real brief with you. This morning, after hearing this message. If you've not asked Jesus to be your Savior, or maybe it's just been a long time, and maybe you just want to make sure. You ever just do something just to make sure? 
I have. I want to give you an opportunity to make it right with your Savior. And we'll talk here in the coming weeks about Jesus dying on a cross for you. He came to be here on this earth for you. And today's your day. Whether you're here with us this morning or you're watching at home, today's your day. Don't waste this chance. I want to ask all of us here, can we say this prayer? I want to ask you to repeat this prayer after me. Say, dear Jesus, I admit that I am a sinner. I confess that I am away from you. And I want to be close to you. Today I give my heart to you. Come into my life and make me clean. I want to serve you. I give my life to you. I'm no longer my own. But I am yours. In Jesus' name. Amen. You know, if you said that prayer,